Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, as, as, as I thank you all the time for the breath in our lungs that you allow us to get up again. Lord, thank you for the hymn that we sang this morning. Thank you for the, the songs that we are sing in praise. And we thank you, Lord, for, for the truths that were expounded in them, Lord. Lord, you do hold us fast. For my Savior loves me so. Lord, I'm, I'm just so grateful for those truths. Lord, as we, we go into Philemon for our last week, Lord, may you get all the glory. Would you lead us and guide us through this book that we may finish strong and we may continue to learn from your word as you'd have us learn, both as a congregation, Lord, and as an individual. Use this time, Lord, for yourself. To you be the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'll, I'll start off from reading from the Galatians. Paul writes in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when he, they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, and the result, with even the result that Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Peter, leader of the church, at least we'll say the church in Jerusalem. But yet when he was away from Jerusalem, was easily led astray for appearance's sake before fellow Jews. His actions by Paul in just sitting with the Jews instead of the Gentiles, Paul says very clearly to him, straightforwardly, as it, as it says there in those words, I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Peter's actions distorted the truths of the gospel. I recently heard this phrase uh, in studying Philemon, the implications of the good news. The implications of the good news is personal, but not private. Our lives as Christians are on display for all to see. And fortunately, or should I say unfortunately, depending on how we look at it, those implications of the good news carry into all our lives. We're not allowed to live certain portions of our life, as Peter did in Jerusalem, according to the gospel, and yet other portions of our lives not according to the gospel truths. And this is the lesson that Philemon has started to learn and will continue to learn. As we've been doing, we'll read the entire letter of Philemon so we remain in context and be in such a short letter. So if you'd open with me to Philemon chapter 1, excuse me, <laughs> verse 1, uh, there's no chapters, and we'll read together, or, or you can follow along to make sure I'm, I'm reading correctly. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then, as you regard, if, then, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that I, you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I'll be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As I said, we'll be finishing Philemon today, and Lord willing, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to finish the whole thing, uh, and hopefully we will, and if we run a little late, I hope you'll forgive me for that. Uh, last week, we had the opportunity to see the first portion of Paul's appeal to Onesimus, in which we had the opportunity to see Onesimus finally introduce and find out who he was, a Roman slave, and Philemon's slave. We got to see Paul as he continued to walk Philemon from displaying what a, what a believer and what a great brother, I might say, uh, in terms of Philemon and the church and what he did and how he refreshed the saints, to then bringing Philemon along and, and, and finally saying, I, I have an appeal, and though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet I appeal for love's sake. And then he brings that appeal forward. This week, we're, we're going to see, starting off, the second part of this appeal. And we're going to be seeing the choice that is Philemon's. As Paul continues to explain a greater reason for Onesimus leaving, and that it might be because of a needed absence. Paul writes in verses 15 to 16 saying, For perhaps he, Onesimus, for perhaps he, being Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
the causes of Onesimus running away. Now, we knew he was a slave. We, we don't know exactly what caused it. Was it just because he was a slave, or was there a certain incident that causes this man to run? We lack that firsthand knowledge as to why all of a sudden he took off. But again, from Philemon's perspective, if we were just to pause for a minute, you know, if we were looking at from as Philemon, why, what happened? Okay, what happened? Whatever reason that it happened, happened. But now what is this man thinking? We mentioned, I think, in part last week, all of a sudden Onesimus' name is brought up after what might be months or even, even years since, since Onesimus has run. So now Philemon's first thought might be, well, punishment, maybe correction, maybe a fine. What do, what do I do with this slave who's run away? But Paul changes Philemon's thinking with this first word, perhaps. Perhaps for this reason. Perhaps for this reason, he was separated from you. Look beyond your own thinking, just for just a minute, Philemon. Paul's saying that this was not an accident. Paul's looking at it from a different perspective. For this reason, this distance was put between you two. Paul does not say he was accidentally. He doesn't even say there might be a reason or maybe a reason, or maybe, maybe not. He says, Perhaps for this reason, there is a reason, and perhaps this is the one. Paul, again, trying to grow Philemon from where he's at, places before him what, what he should know of the God and Savior he has come to know. He brings him back into that line of thinking. Please turn me for, for a moment just to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. And this should be a fairly well-known passage to all of us. Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. The scriptures read there, do not, be angry, uh, do not be, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all of Egypt. God has sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 8, now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. In the same way, Paul talks to Philemon, as it could have been said to Joseph, even as he just first came out of prison and is given this position of authority, you can imagine someone who he might have known or befriended or been a, a compatriot with talking to him and saying, Joseph, for per, perhaps for this reason you were separated from your brothers for this time. Perhaps this might be the cause. And later on, as, as Joseph sees his brothers and talks to him, he has that full picture. It's no longer perhaps for a reason. It's for this reason I was separated from you. Paul teaches Philemon and teaches us at the same time to look at things that happen in our life from a perspective that God is fully in control. And who better to say this than Paul? Who could have more authority and understanding? We looked at verse week, uh, or the first week looked at, we looked at Philemon in verse 1, and then he spoke two more times. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
Paul understands the long-term perspective. He accepted the will of God for his life. You remember when we looked at Acts chapter 20 and 21, he said he was bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 21, he said, I am prepared to be bound and even to die for the gospel as he speaks to these believers. He understands a long-term perspective. And again, remember, this is a prison epistle. He has the authority from experience to say, perhaps for this reason. Please turn me back to Philemon. Paul then finishes the phrase, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. Notice how he contrasts two terms, a while and forever. Again, who would better understand the temporary and eternal aspects of life than Paul? Who better to bring understanding to one who needs to grasp those aspects than Paul? Remember, Paul, while in prison, while writing these words, he is the same, who, same one who wrote in Philippians, another prison, prison epistle, while in chains, says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. While in prison, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. The chains are just temporary. Philemon, look beyond the immediate circumstances. Then he continues on in verse 15 into 16, perhaps for this reason, that you would have him for, for a while, that you'd have him back forever. And then he adds a second part, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, by how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul then explains the possible reason for it, that he would have, that Philemon would have Onesimus back, not as a, just as a slave, but as a beloved brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord. To Philemon, before Onesimus being a slave and now a beloved brother, for, for Paul to say, look, both to me, he is a brother, a beloved brother to Paul. And now we know that Philemon has already called, uh, Paul has already called Philemon brother in verse 7. So now for Onesimus to be a brother, there, Paul's leading him to understand this is all equal status. He is your brother as well. I already consider him a brother, just as I consider you a brother. Really, this, this puts the question to Philemon, are you understanding who he is to you yet, Philemon? Again, for what purpose would Onesimus be allowed to run by God? When, when Paul phrases it this way, what purposes on earth, in the heart of Philemon, in the heart of Onesimus, in the life of Paul, needs to be worked out in such a way that God allows Onesimus to run. Remember, we, we know the verses, Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And I'm sure that Onesimus' disappearance to Philemon was an aggravation, an irritation, 
you, you can imagine the anger the, moment, the morning he woke up and found out his slave had ran. But again, this was to work out eternal purposes in Philemon's heart. And, and also, as we found out, very much eternal purposes in Onesimus' heart. He got saved. And now Paul is put in a position to correct a brother. This is part of Paul's sanctification as well. All of them are, looking, are needing to look at this one occurrence of Onesimus' running and understand the Lord had a purpose in their life through this single incident. The Lord desired it to be done this way. It was a needed absence. Now, before we move on, I, I do want to touch on one other subject as an aside that may come up in our thoughts when we look at this verse saying, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. What, what, does, this, what does this mean? How should we take this verse? Because Paul is declaring, is he meant to be freed or is he not meant to be freed? And honestly, depending on which commentator you read, and how they read this, is this also a civil command for freedom or just helping Philemon understand that he is a brother, but it's not a civil command to free him? I think we do need to look at just a few verses just as an aside as we go forward in case we're wondering this. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. where it says there, verse 22, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. And honestly, I wish that caught my attention earlier. That'd be a whole other topic for Philemon. Now, let's go to our next verse. So we see there that the Lord tells them, if you're called to the Lord while a slave, you are the Lord's freedman. It, he, he's, he's in the Lord's sight. He is not a slave. In the Lord's sight, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, please. Verses 22 to 24. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with ex external service as to those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that it is from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And if we go down another verse, we see that the, Paul speaks to masters as well. Verse 1, chapter 4, Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And then uh, if you'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 9. Actually, let's start back up in verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this you will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. 
and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Whether you want to look at this in, in Philemon as a statement from Paul that he is to be free or not, again, good commentators disagree on this point. Either way, it could not have been more striking to Philemon to read this statement more than a slave, a brother. Remember, he has every legal reason as a Roman citizen with a Roman slave to, to, to discipline him, to punish him, and even up to death. Paul is clearly pointing out fellowship here. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I missed my spot. So, in fact, I think I actually deleted something. But no matter what, whether you believe that, read this commentator or that commentator, whether he is supposed to be freed or not, Paul never specifically says that slaves are to be free for Christians. He never commands it. We're going to go into that in a minute. I think I missed up my notes. For, forgive me about that. We have here Paul's statements concerning masters and slaves with this letter foregoing any discipline. In his letter, he, he never specifically says anything concerning whether he should discipline or not, but he desires Philemon to understand he is to consider him as a brother, so that infers a foregoing of discipline. He is, a, he is forcing Philemon to examine how seriously he's taking his own faith and his own obedience to Christ and understand that someone who is a slave could become a brother. Will he do what is right and fair according to the world's standards or according to Christian standards? He's causing Philemon to think in his own mind as a Roman citizen do Christian standards apply in this situation? Or is this too an extreme situation? Again, because Roman slaves don't even, oh, don't even hold fast their own personhood. They're like a car. Literally, they, they were not even thought to be people. One example came to mind as I was thinking about this. Uh, for any of you who might have seen the movie Sabina, have anybody, Sabine, Sabine not Sabina, Sabine, about Richard Wurmbrandt's wife. Richard Wormbrandt, uh, he started Voice of the Martyrs uh, Ministry to help uh, persecuted Christians. And Richard Wormbrandt, his wife Sabina, I think it's Sabina, his wife, wife's parents were killed during World War II. Later on, years later, he was in a, like a restaurant, I believe it was. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. But he meets a man who brags about killing people in this certain village. Richard Wormbrandt recognizes the name of that village as the name of the village where his wife's parents were murdered because the whole village was wiped out. Richard starts to tell him about the gospel and the forgiveness that's available. The man doesn't believe that that forgiveness is possible and mocks him. Richard has him come back to his apartment, has him sit down in the living room, goes into his bedroom, wakes up his wife, and begins to tell her that I have in the living room the man who may have very well murdered her parents. And he says, I want you to go in the other room and make him dinner. And she gets up, she goes in the other room, and of course it's a movie, so you, you wonder which exact things are step by step, but she, the, the, they have her go into the room, and she walks up to the man and looks at him and kisses him on the cheek and forgives him and makes him dinner. That's a kind of that's the kind of thinking we must have as Christians in applying Christianity to every aspect of our lives. It's, it's that 
It's that extreme when it comes to following Christ. We are, we are going to be put in positions where, according to the world standards, according to Philemon standards, I have every right, I have ownership, I have the ability, and I can, and I deserve to, because he left, and as it's inferred in a couple of verses later down, he might have stolen something on the way. I have that ability. Do Christ's standards apply to this situation? I would say, yes, they do. Again, Paul nowhere plants any kind of seed about freeing slaves in the Christian world at this time. But who better, how can you love a brother, desire their benefit in Christ, esteem them better than yourselves, and yet still keep them in bondage? Paul is planting those seeds, and he very well may be planting those seeds in the very first, in the very next verses we're looking at, in verses 17 and 19, in a Christian example. Paul writes in verse 17, and there's two things I'll point out considering a Christian example, or regarding a Christian example. He writes first, if you then regard me as a partner. With Paul's explanation, God's purposes in the separation of Philemon, we just, excuse me, the separation of Philemon and Esmus, what we just went over. So with that explanation, Paul, it would seem, almost turns the screw just a little bit tighter on Philemon. And, and the way he phrases this, right after saying that, if then you regard me as a partner, it's almost like he's anticipating a hardening of Philemon's heart right at this point in time. So Paul lays out a statement he can't ignore. And saying, if you regard me as a partner, Paul is taking Philemon back up earlier in the letter where it was more comfortable, where he said, I hear, no, yep, uh, where he says, and I pray, verse 6, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become more effective through, through the knowledge of every good thing that is in you for Christ's sake. Now, up in that verse 6, we talked about that word fellowship being koinonia, which remember it talked about distribution, fellowship, contribution, sharing. Paul now says this word, basically saying, okay, you, you accepted what I said about you here. Now down here, if you regard me as a partner, koinonos, a fellow sharer, a fellow participator, a fellow distributor, if you consider part of me, part, part, me, part of this ministry that you have, a fellow worker in this ministry, accept him as, as you would me. And those words, if you look closely, depend on your version there, it says, Accept him as you would me. The you would is in italics. It's literally accept him as me. As one writer puts it, Paul puts his relationship with Philemon on the line. Positively, to receive Onesimus is to receive Paul. Negatively, to reject Onesimus is to reject Paul. Turn me to Romans chapter 15, please. Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Paul writes there, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind, with one another according to Christ Jesus, 
so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Therefore, accept one another. Why accept one another? That therefore, go back. That you may be one of mind, one accord, according to Jesus Christ. Excuse me, with one mind, together, be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may be of one accord, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Philemon, to accept Onesimus, to be of one accord, of one mind, what would that do? It would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verse 18 and 19, But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is our second instance or, 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 or item in regarding a Christian example. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So first he says, if you're not going to accept me, don't accept Onesimus. If you regard me a partner in ministry, accept him as you would accept me. Now in verse 18 and 19, he says, if, you, if he owes you anything, you're going to charge that to me. 2 Corinthians 5, please. We're going to look at two sections of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to read verse 17 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 19. There, if anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God, through Christ, reconciling himself to us, not counting our trespasses, and in doing so, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And as we see down there in verse 19, by the word of reconciliation, he's given us that to give to others now. And that'll be my tiny little plug for right now. We just went over this in Sunday school. I almost fell out of my chair. I, I truly, I, I would ask you just to pray, Lord, would you have me come to Sunday school if, just to know you better? I have received a double treasure this morning and going through it twice now. Last week, we looked at what was fitting or proper according to the character of Onesimus, or fitting or proper according to what Philemon should do with Onesimus. Remember, Paul said, Though I have confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. He had confidence in Christ to order him what to do, what is fitting or proper. And here we see fitting and proper, we see reconciliation. We see reconciliation, and we see that whether it be us or Paul, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now turn to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. As we turn to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we're considering God through Christ reconciled us, given the ministry of reconciliation, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. 
So when we touched about fitting and proper, we looked at this Ephesians passage last week, and we looked at verses 1 through 4. I only want to touch on verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of Christ. Walk in love. What did God do? God through Christ, reconciled himself to us. What did Christ do? As an offering and sacrifice to God, gave himself up, imitate Christ. What are we to do? We have the ministry of reconciliation. We are to reconcile others. So when we look back to Ephesians, excuse me, Philemon, verses in 18 and 19, this is what Paul does. He acts between Philemon and Onesimus, as his Savior did. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is the this is an interesting fact. I couldn't believe it when I read it. This is the only letter where Paul does not mention the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But instead of telling us about it, Paul lives it out and gives us an example of how to imitate it. Paul takes all wrongdoing that Onesimus has done, and for the sake of reconciliation between two brothers, he places it all upon himself. He takes all the debt and the responsibility of repayment. Philemon is not so dense that he wasn't standing there and not being able to draw the line from A to B. Paul is taking all of Onesimus' debt. I have nothing against him. Christ has taken all of my debt He is nothing, the Father is nothing against me. Remember, we mentioned how it was possible, well, I may have mentioned it before, well, we did mention it, how it was possible the letter of Colossians may have traveled with the letter of Philemon. And I would encourage you sometime, if you you have five minutes on your hands and you want to look at something, I've often thought, if if that's what happened, the two letters traveled together, and Paul was burdened for this young man he was going to send back to a slave master, Sometimes, you know, when you're thinking about something and you're bothered about something, it sort of flavors all your other actions, right? You know, if you're angry at work, you come home, and sometimes, unfortunately, us, us men, we don't act right when we come in the door. Or if, or if something breaks on the water heater at home, then, then, you know, my wife says, what do you want for supper? It's like, oh, I don't care about supper. Philemon is on Paul's mind. Onesimus is on Paul's mind. And then he writes this letter to Colossians. And what does he write? In Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Again, as I was saying, read Colossians and see how many instances you almost can see Paul thinking about Philemon and Onesimus. It just pops up over and over and over. He says in chapter 2, When you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions and canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All of us have had a certificate of debt against us before we knew Christ. No matter how we tried, no matter, no matter what we did to run away from it, whether we drank it away and, uh, to, to make us forget it or take nut drugs to numb it or to ignore it in anger or whether we, we try to reason it away with evolution or or deconstruction, or man-made philosophy, 
at the end of the day, the guilt remains and the debt is still unpaid. I gave an example at the mentor tree of a, of a child who steals a cookie and the father watches him. And he says, I saw you steal the cookie. According to man's philosophy, the child would look at the father and say, I don't believe in you. What is the father going to do at the end of the day? The debt remains unpaid. The child will be disciplined. All of us have a debt to pay. John 3, 16 and 17, when we read those familiar passages, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So we might ask, well, if Jesus came to forgive, why do I feel this guilt? Why am I convicted? Because no child asks for forgiveness unless they understand the guilt, unless they've been convicted of wrongdoing. God, in his loving kindness, convicts us of wrongdoing that we may turn to the one who will carry the debt. The only question then is, if we have not yet accepted Christ, are we willing to come to Christ accepting the responsibility of wrongdoing that the Savior may carry the debt? N.T. Wright, a theologian, says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now Christ is in Paul reconciling Philemon to Onesimus. Paul was the Christian example. As his Savior willingly took on, his, took on the debt for his sin, Paul willingly takes on the debt of Onesimus, saying, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. We need to understand, by Paul doing this, why would he write this odd statement? Because now this, what, what Philemon holds in his hand, reading this, this is a promissory note. This is a legal binding agreement. All, all real or imagined debts that Philemon has, I've lost time, I lost my slave, I lost labor, I lost all these things being done, thus I lost X amount of profit. Paul says, I pay it. I will owe this. You put it on my account. He assumes all of this debt, and Philemon now has power in his hands, so and speak. But then Paul, so now Paul is the debtor, supposedly, but with the wisdom that God gave the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul makes this statement, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. With this statement, Philemon has done two things. He has reminded Philemon of his own salvation. He reminds him that whether it be Paul who told Philemon the gospel, or it be someone who Paul taught who taught Philemon the gospel, Philemon now owes a debt of gratitude. He is now in debt. Also, now he's taken Philemon, and he's put him squarely in Onesimus' shoes. He is no different than him. Philemon is starting to get the picture. He has nothing against Onesimus. I, I you know, when, when I thought about this, how all of a sudden there, he had nothing against him. That's the same words that came to mind when my cousin years ago gave me a, a picture of my dad. Up to that point, uh, it was probably about late 20s I got this picture. Up to that point, my parents had divorced when I was five or six. I saw my dad later on. It wasn't good. And for 28 years, if you asked me about my real father, 
oh, I would tell you all about him and what he did and what he did wrong and left my mom and blah, 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 blah. My cousin gave me that picture. I had never seen that picture before my life. It was an 8 by 11, and it was of a, my dad and my mother and me as a baby sitting in their lap. And you know, when, you, when, when you're a child, when you put your back in your children's shoes and you think about your dad, you know, you think big guy, you know, big gorilla paws for hands and strong and whatnot. And that's the way I always pictured my dad. But as I looked at that picture, and remember, I was probably close to about 30, I'm mean, a guess around that time, I saw a 22, 23, 24-year-old man who was just dumb, who, who made mistakes. And as I looked at it, the Lord, a couple times in my life, has sort of just given me like snapshots in my head. And he brought to mind my dad, my dad's not being faithful to my mom, and all these other sins I had held against my dad. And with each one, the Lord said, you did that, you did that, you did that, you did that. And the thought that came to my mind was, you have nothing against him now. And all of a sudden, the Lord just filled my heart with a love for my dad that even now just gets me a little weepy. But it was amazing because he had prepared my heart for what was about to come because I had looked for this man before. And we left, and that happened at Shiloh. We left Shiloh and came home. I got on the computer after looking for years. I got on the computer and looked for my dad, typed in the name. I saw him almost immediately. The Lord needed to prepare me to help me understand my heart before he was willing to let me to have my dad back. Philemon, he owes you nothing. Owes you nothing. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and keep wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing her feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would, have, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they were able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom, whom he forgave more. He said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. 
He who is forgiven loves little. Philemon, Onesimus came to me, accepted the forgiveness Christ offered for him. He has been forgiven much. In love, he has served me diligently while I've been in prison. He has been a faithful brother, ministering to me in my imprisonment. You too heard the gospel. You too were forgiven your sins. Will you not send Anisimus back to me to help me, to minister with me? This brings us to a reminded obedience in verses 20 to 22. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since at the same time I know you will do even more than I say. Paul is not done with Philemon yet. There's still more to do. He says, yes, brother. The relationship has not changed, even though this is a letter of correction. And even though he's, he's really taking the same kind of goads that he had received from the Lord, and he is now goading Philemon, you might say, he still calls him brother. When there's correction within the church, within brethren, the relationship should not change. We should not have some kind of, of, of anger or some kind of uh, animosity toward the other person who tried to speak to us. They're still brother. And, and Paul reassures him here, the relationship has not changed, Philemon. You are still my brother. Secondly, Paul uses the word benefit. He says, brother, let me benefit, for you, from, benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And this, this is, Paul does not do this accidentally. This is so interesting that the Holy Spirit would do this. Because earlier, remember when, when he had talked to Onesimus, talked to Philemon, he said that Onesimus was useless to you and useless to me. Those were two completely different Greek words from what we see here in terms of useful or benefit, because they can be translated both the same way. He uses the words akrostos and eukrestos, eukrestos, in that verse, useless and useful. But here he takes a whole different word, even though he could just refer four or five verses back and say, oh, I remember that word. Instead, he uses a word that's pronounced oninimi, oninimi, let me benefit from you. And he does this on purpose because there's another word very close to that word for benefit, oninimi. And that word is onesimas. In English, anesimus. Anesimus' name means useful. Often in those times, during Roman, the Roman period, the master would name the slave what he felt he was to him. It's very possible that Philemon had named Anesimus useful. And now Paul says, will you be useful like Anesimus was to you? Will you be onini me to me? And how can Paul, Philemon benefit Paul? He can refresh his heart in Christ. We saw last week, how can he do that? By Philemon accepting and forgiving Onesimus. It will refresh the heart of Paul. But with Onesimus accepting Christ, Philemon is also to refresh the brethren. Onesimus as well. Philemon is to refresh Onesimus. But then as we look into verse 21, again, Paul with these words, continuing to help Philemon understand what he should do as a Christian brother. He says, having confidence in your obedience. Now you remember back in verse 8, Paul said, 
although he had every confidence in Christ to order you to what to do, what to do, now he says, having confidence in your obedience. Paul had said before, he could order you to do what is proper. So there was a right response to what Paul wanted to order him to. Instead, he made it an appeal, and yet that's, that right response stays the same. Philemon, there's a right thing to do in this situation. But now Paul says to him, having confidence in your obedience. Obedience to Paul? It's not obedience to Paul. The correct direction is pointing toward obedience in Christ. And keep in mind, obedience requires what? Obedience requires a command, and it requires an authority behind that command. We want to remember also that Paul mentioned, remember we started off, we said all these words at the beginning that Paul's using are loaded. He's going to bring them back later on. He talked about Philemon's love and faithfulness toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. We said that word faith, faithful, or faith can be translated faithful to the Lord Jesus. It's really because we don't have faith in the saints. So if Philemon has love and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus, that means he is faithful to the Lord Jesus and his law and commands. Jesus is the authority. If he is the authority, what has he commanded? What has he said? John 14, if you love me, you will keep my command, commandments, verse 15. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So Jesus has given a command, and if we love Jesus, if Philemon loves Jesus, he will obey his command. So now the question is, okay, if Philemon loves Christ and obeys his command, what's the command? John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. 15, 17, this I command you, that you love one another. Philemon, you desire Onesimus. I have sent him back to you. Philemon, you have love and faithfulness to Christ. Will you be faithful to Christ in what he commands? He commands love. Will you love Paul? Will you love Onesimus? And that's why Paul says, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. This very motivation of writing that letter at all is that Philemon would do what is according to Christ to act what is, as we saw earlier, as fitting or as proper. Remember, Paul said he wanted to order him to do that. He has taken him a roundabout way to now say, I have confidence in your obedience. You're going to do what's fitting or proper, Philemon. And then Paul says, since I know you'll do even more than what I'll say. Now, we don't know what that means. We don't know if it's a full liberation of, of Onesimus. We don't know if it's uh, sending him back to Paul. We don't know if it's even paying the way for Onesimus to go back. We don't know, but at a minimum, if, it, if he's going to do even more than what he says, at a minimum, he's going to refresh Paul's heart. He's going to accept him as a brother. Paul follows up in verse 22. At the same time, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I'll be given you. Paul kindly, gently, but firmly, if we were to translate this, 
At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I'll be given to you. If we were to translate that into simple language, I'm hoping to come and see how this all went, Philemon. I'm hoping to visit you. We're going to see how things went along with this letter. And remember, there's a listening audience. Aphia, Archippus, and the church in your house is all listening. Lastly, a final encouragement. Epaphras, my fellow, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Paul writes and mentions these people, and, and I'm not going to go in depth with them now, but if you do your own study in your own time, Epaphras was the one who brought the gospel to Colossae, where Philemon's church is. Epaphras is one of Philemon's pastors. Paul is saying here, Epaphras, your Epaphras greets you. Your pastor knows about this. Your pastor knows about this, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, and the entire church in your house. you got two gospel writers, Mark and Luke, along with two other compatriots of Paul. Philemon, everybody is coming around you in this situation. Everyone is coming around you in this situation. Paul ends with verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The last time we saw this was in verse 3 where Paul said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We mentioned how the church and Philemon would need God's grace and peace in this situation as the letter is read. And here, Paul changes the your again to the plural. This is to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the entire church in the house. Grace be with your spirit. Grace be with you, Philemon, as you are about to make a decision to obey Christ and his commands in your relationship with Onesimus. And grace and peace to you, or I should say grace to your spirit, church in the house, as you are about to watch his reaction and to go around him and encourage him and hold him accountable for what is supposed to be right in this situation. Again, as we said at the beginning, the implications of the good news is personal, but it's never private. Philemon, in truth, was a man of note. He was a solid Christian man. He was one of the brethren that, when you walked in the church, he knew you by name. When he saw your face and if you were downcast, he would pray with you. If he, if he, if he knew someone in your family was sick, he would go and visit them. He refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul did not lie about that. He was a man, he was a brother that you desired in your church. You know, back when I was probably about early believer, so we're probably talking about 2000, 2001, 2, early on, I, I came to church one day. And there was, a, there was a man here, he's not in this church anymore, long time ago, but well-known and well-respected in the community. And he had missed church for a couple weeks, and because of what I had learned in the scriptures, I asked him, I said, brother, I said, uh, how's everything going? He's like, well, why do you ask? And I said, well, you haven't been for, here for a couple weeks, I just want to see if you're okay. And he said, what I'm doing is none of your business. I questioned right there, am I understanding the Bible correctly? 
Are, are we all supposed to be just lone islands and we just come in the door and we go back out and we don't get to know each other? Are we, are we supposed to be concerned for one another? Are we desiring to see one another grow? Are we never to, to guide each other or help each other or do we just let them wander off? Are we supposed to be encouraging one another in love? We're supposed to be encouraging one another to fellowship, the breaking of bread, attending Bible study, being in worship together, all these things, is it, is it just badgering in our minds? Or do we see it as our brothers and sisters encouraging us in love, desiring to reach out and possibly correct before there's a wandering too far astray, or even just a, in love desiring you to grow? What if in love, Paul, took, Paul wrote a letter to us or to me individually, to you? encouraging you to take a look at an area of your life where you need to apply Christian principles that you're missing the mark on, how would you respond to a letter from Paul? In turn, how would you respond any differently if it was one of your brothers or sisters in this church saying, I think you're missing the mark on this? And they do it lovingly and kindly, coming around you. Are you irritated? Do you feel badgered? You say, I want nothing of it. If that's the case, what is the letter of Philemon to you? Is it profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that you may be equipped for every good work? If we're not willing to be approached, if we're not willing to be corrected, if we're not willing for all the brothers and sisters to come around us in the church and say, you're missing this. I think you need to, to look and see what Christ would do in your life in this area. I think you need to obey the Lord in this area. If we're not willing to have that, then maybe if we go back to the beginning of the sermon, how did Paul word the words, his words to Peter? If we're not willing to be corrected or we go astray, the words he used, I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Am I willing to be corrected? Or do I take it as an insult when someone approaches me on anything out of love? Let's close. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, you've been so faithful. And Father, I, I thank you for the privilege of being able to come and, and preach in this pulpit. Lord, you have, have carried me like a child in the arms of a parent. I am so grateful. And Lord, I do pray that all the things that have been spoken may honor and glorify you. And, and you may continue to use them for your glory. Thank you, Lord. You are good, and you are worthy of my worship all my days. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.